All right, we've been talking about discipleship, and in the first few weeks, uh, we've been talking about growing up in Christ, making and being disciples, our quiet time, our Bible study, prayer, and then the three-person God. Now we're starting the second of the third section is understanding the message of Christ. And what I'm going to be talking about today is being made in God's image. And using, we locked him out. In discipleship essentials, uh, the core truth is what is humanity? And, uh, and the definition of the core truth is, is that God, the self-existent creator, called the world into being through his infinite creativity and power. The peak of God's creative work was humankind, male and female, made exclusively in His image. And this is a memory verse, and this is a verse we're going to be working out of today, and a, a verse which I believe many of you uh, are well aware of if you've read and studied Genesis very much. And it said, And God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. So, what are the key words in these verses? Likeness. Likeness. Mm-hmm. Good. What else? Power. Power. Mm-hmm. Likeness and power. I said our. 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 Likes. Sorry. <laughs> our image. Yes. We won't talk about our in just a moment. What else? I think the emphasis of dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Gave them dominion. All right, what else? I want to, we're going to take those key phrases and we're going to talk about them in just a moment. The first, first one in there was to make or create. And um, Trinitarian roles. Now, if you read the, the scholars on Let Us, they will tell you that they're not real sure what it means. They're not sure if God is talking to Himself or God is talking to the angels and the other heavenly host, or is He talking to the other Godhead? And the context doesn't give it a whole lot of help. Uh, But let's just not address the context. I'm not asking you to do something heretical here. But but, but my my point I want us to see here is in in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, from whom are all things, for whom we exist. 
So from the Father comes this source of creation of what happens. Are you with me? And then Jesus, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So it was generated from God, but it was done through Christ. And then the next verse, in Psalm 104, verse 30, when you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And so the Holy Spirit is the means by which life is generated. Um, For lack of a better illustration, it's just like God made this possible, Jesus formed it, and the Spirit gave it life. Adam and Eve. God made Adam. He took the rib and made Eve. But then He breathed into them the breath of life. And so, whether uh, Genesis 1.26 where it says, let us, refers to the Trinity or not, The reality is, the Trinity was there and they did make that happen. And so that's why it's very important. And then after creation, God said in verse 31, and it was very good. This is very important. And that's one of those things I'll talk about in, uh, in just a moment. How many of you I've seen a child, or held a child. Um, Carrie, is this your, this condition connected to you? Yeah, this is my son. All right, all right. Well, you can't deny him. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's all right. No, we love your dad and your mom. Uh, your mom taught our children in Atlanta. And she's taught our grandchildren here. So uh, Carolyn has a very special place in our our hearts. Um, Think back of time, uh, if you had that opportunity, when you held a child. What are the words that you used when you either looked at the child or you spoke to the child or you you looked at the child when you said it or you were talking to someone else what were the words that people commonly use i don't want to drop you (laughs) yeah especially with the first one yeah that's right i don't want to drop you precious precious They seem so pure. Yeah. Yeah, innocent, innocent, pure, good. I think sometimes what you don't say, you're just in awe. Yeah. Just in awe. Yeah. Yeah, when our our children were born, um, I would look at their little fingers and their little fingernails and their toes and their their eyes and their little ears and um, another phrase I would say is you look like 
Isn't that something? How God so created that we, of course, you think, well, duh, but we create our likeness. Um, Now sometimes, with our three children, they look more like their mother than they look like me, but if you were to meet my oldest daughter, you would say, she was mine, without a doubt. She's in my likeness. Not only does she look like me, she acts like me, which is a problem. Because she is a uh, chili pepper. pepper. Yes, that's a nice way to put it. Chili pepper. So, as we talk about uh, what a child looks like in its purity and its innocence, uh, it was very good. I'm going to go ahead and pull all this up here because I left off the line. Why was it good? God did not create us because He needed us, but God's nature is love. And He wanted to pour His life into another. So He created man and He created woman. Not because He had to, but because he wanted to, because he wanted to, God cannot be God and not pour himself out. It's got to be into someone else. And Acts 17 25 says, God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of the heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath, and all things. Uh, if, you're having, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We'll start with verse 26. Is everybody there? Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them. That, to me, that's a phrase that's easily overlooked. He blessed them. I can't tell you how many people I have sit or have sat with and counseled who were struggling in life because they never received a blessing. They just wanted somebody significant in their life to say, I love you, or to say, I'm glad you're here. You have a purpose. You have this gift. You have this ability. You can do this. You can do that. They didn't grow up. When God blessed them, He actually empowered Adam and Eve. He gave them a sense of worth. This was not just... um, 
God up in the heavens and all of a sudden Adam and Eve started enjoying good things. No, remember, God and Adam and Eve walked in the garden late in the day. And He blessed them. They heard Him say the blessing. And to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. He's saying, I'm giving you the ability to do everything I created you to do. And to me, we underestimate the power of blessing. He says He blessed them and He says, I give you everything. And He says it was very good. (coughs) And God was very proud of them. When we talk about our, our image, our likeness, we're not talking about physical appearance, nor are we saying that we are God, uh, because we know that's not the case, because we have no ability to do anything. I can't even control my life, much less control other people, and so that alone gives you that. But our nature reflects His nature, and we are His representative. When God says, I bless you and I give, and you are to have dominion over, He not only blessed them and empowered them, but He says, you are representing Me as I am in control of all that exists. You are My representative as dominion over the earth. And in doing that, You are my likeness because I want you to have dominion over the earth like I have dominion over all that's created. And in doing so, you will give me glory. Right? Mike, if you sit here as human beings today put yourself in that position, you say, wow, what? What? What is this about? I don't know many that there's fewer people who say that they could than to those who say the ones that say we can't. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just just a minute. Jesus, as we know, became flesh, right? He walked on this earth. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. So, this is our idea of image. That representation. And in Hebrews 1.3, He is a reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being and He sustains all things by His powerful words. Now, I'm not saying we're like Jesus in the sense that we were perfect or we had powers like Jesus. But what I am saying is, is that like Jesus, whom we, it says that the Holy Spirit, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness, right? And so if we're being reflected into His likeness, we're going to be reflect the image of the invisible God, or we're going to be the image of the invisible God, or a reflection of that. Likewise, 
Adam and Eve and us are the image of the invisible God because we are those we are those representatives. David, you work for an accounting company, right? All right, when you go out to work with a client, you represent your company. How you behave or how you do your job is a reflection upon whom? Company. That's company. So it's not just about you. It's about who you represent. And that's what we're talking about here. It's not about us and our skills and our abilities, but it's who we represent as we live out, as, as we carry out and use our abilities and skills and using it to the glory of God. Now, I want to carry this on a little bit further. Here's the problem. Man sinned, right? Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when God told them not to, then all of a sudden they lost their... One of the things we said about a baby a while ago was innocence. When they ate of the fruit, they lost their innocence. I don't believe God was trying to protect them and keep them in a bubble. But I, what I do believe is that you can go wise and be innocent. <clears throat> but Adam and Eve didn't choose that path. Here's what I want you to get. The fall did not take away their image, but it took away the glory that they could give the Father. Their glory was diminished, not their image. Now, in one sense, their image was diminished because they didn't reflect that representation. But they didn't lose their image. They just suppressed their image. Does that make sense? And so, I don't care how much you have sinned. I don't care how bad your sin is. You're still one made in the image of God. It's just that you might not give Him much glory in the process, right? Okay? I kind of think of it as the same like of a parent and child relationship. You know? Yes. Like you're talking about a job and it's the same with your, your children. You're like, you need to be respectful, you need to be under best behavior, you know, because you're you're teaching them life skills, but you're also, it's a reflection on you. That's you right. Know, you are you're reflecting, you know, how good of a parenting job I'm doing or whatever. You That's know? right. And if they go off and they're not doing things that you approve of or whatever, they still have your image and your likeness, but they're not necessarily obeying or doing things that you taught them to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great, great way to put it. Uh, Jeannie and I knew a lady who we respected a great deal in Atlanta. And when she was disciplining her son, she says, listening, listen, I'm disciplining, disciplining you because I want people to like you when you grow up. Isn't that a great phrase? 
The reason I'm doing it is because I want people to like you. I want people to respect you. Ah, that's that's so so very good, so very good. How do we feel towards others or but our children when they disappoint us, when they frustrate us, and when they hurt us? How do we feel towards our children or towards others? I'm angry. Angry. Rage. Rage. Sad. Sad. Grief. Grief. What else? I don't push I typically cut them out of my life. Hmm? If it's severe, I cut them out of my life. Yeah. I just distance myself. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's good. It's good. What else? Sometimes I'm inadequate because you want to. I have felt inadequate to go. So how do I help this be better? Or what did I do? Did I contribute to this? Did I? How do I support them through this? How do I? Whatever. Yeah. So I felt like I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Good. Good words. The one word none of you never didn't use was. You didn't love them anymore. I don't know where I heard this or where I read it, but this has meant a tremendous amount to me. It doesn't matter how bad I am. It doesn't make me It doesn't make God love me less. But there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. You think about someone you really care about. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your children, whether it's family, whatever the case may be. They may frustrate you, they may anger you, they may disappoint you, they may cause you all kinds of terrible times and experiences. but you still love them. I've watched parents whose children have been absolute jackasses and their parents still loved them. When I thought I would have said at a much younger age, you just need and then fill in the blank. But they loved them. I don't know if you remember recent, uh, just recently in worship, Randy Gill talked about his son had been on drugs, but he's been he's been uh, sober for the last year, been off of drugs. But through that whole time, as much despair as they he brought them, their love never failed. And my point in all of that is, is that when you and I fall, when you and I disappoint God, when you and I sin, when you and I don't do what we're supposed to do, or act in ways that do not represent God, He still loves you. 
He may be disappointed. He may be angry. But He never, ever stops loving you. And to me, that's significant. And we'll, I'll look at that here in just a moment. <clears throat> because of God's love, when Adam and Eve fell, what did He turn around and do in history? He established the Hebrew nation. And what was their responsibility? They were God's representatives. And when they failed, He sent Christ and He established a church. And who are we as Christians? God's representatives. In His likeness, in His image. You see, if God had stopped loving us, He would have never elevated the Jews. <coughs> Third strike. If He hadn't have done it, He would have never sent Jesus. But the difference between the Hebrew people and Jesus was that it became eternal. Are you with me? The Hebrew nation just brought about a law. <clears throat> Jesus not only brought truth, but He brought grace. God's love endures forever. I don't know if... Uh, I don't... Y'all may not do this. Every now and then, I will uh, read five psalms a day. And you can cover all the psalms in one month. If you've ever been... A, if you ever, uh, I went to a uh, monastery in Conyers, Georgia called the Holy Spirit Monastery and uh, spent five days in silence. You talking about you want to figure out how noisy this world is? Come back after five days of silence and just drive into Atlanta. I turned on the radio and quickly turned it back off because I, w I was overwhelmed with all the sounds. But the thing I learned when I went to the monastery was they worshiped five times a day. Four o'clock in the morning, Seven. No, four, nine, twelve, five, nine. Yeah, I think those times. <coughs> That's not right, but a bunch of times. <laughs> but they would sing through the Psalms every month. And that week, as I worshiped with them, we sang through a lot of the Psalms. I'm getting older and so I can't see. Um, I think it's Psalm 136. It's the it's a psalm that says, and his love endures forever. It makes a statement and it says, and his love endures forever. Forever. Yeah, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, 
His love endures forever. And he goes through history in this psalm, and each time he says, and his love endures forever. Our purpose is to magnify God. But here's the question I have for you today. Um, do we view ourselves through God's lens or our own or other people's lens? You with me? What would the impact be? What would be the impact? If we look through our own lens and the lens of others, how would that affect how we see ourselves? It'd be a hot mess. Like you said a minute ago, when we think about our responsibility to have dominion, and the reason we struggle with that is because we're looking through this lens, right? I believe that one of the reasons the church has not been as impactful today is because of this reality. We don't do what we're being called to do because we're looking at it through our own lenses and through the lenses of other people. I, matter of fact, if I were to, and a group of people say, uh, Carrie, you're a saint. Most people would feel uncomfortable. What's the, what, what's the connotation that goes with saint? Perfection. Perfection. And I'm not perfect. You can't call me saint. And the reason we say that is because we're looking through our own lens and the lens of other people And so we can never be what God has called us to be because we're looking through the long, wrong lens. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that I'm going to be careful how I say this because I want it to be heard the way I mean it. Um, I think that if, if we've ever gone through trauma or we have had um, life experiences that would cause us to have different other people's perception of who we are in our head, you know, part of that process of learning who you are and all of that and often moving beyond things is hearing God's voice about yes. you in your head. Sometimes, though, if you were to call Carrie a saint, other people who might know him... <laughs> Go, I'll ask his son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think another thing that we do is, that is the judgmental piece. It isn't just that Carrie's going to feel uncomfortable that you call him the same because we all feel so inadequate. But then we sit and go, well, he's not the same. <laughs> so I think that's where it really goes wrong in churches is we sit and we look at people and we have our filter for what they should be doing rather than looking at ourselves. Excellent. Excellent point. Excellent point. We've been in this. Go ahead. If my mind was going the same direction as yours, as I thought, wow, if I 
could see every person as in God's image and his child. And when we don't agree, or when they hurt me, or when, you know what I mean? That if, if, if my, manager, manager. Yeah, uh, yeah, or just, goodness, I mean, the list goes on and on. But if I saw every person in the image of God and that he loves them, it just shifts my thinking and my response to them. And that's a big deal. You know, Mike, you and Jeannie, maybe others, know what characteristic happens at the end of the breathing process. That person has gotten to the point most times where you know they're just, they have they have communed with God, they found His acceptance, and love, and they're just uh, they're just on a different track then because of it. The reason we call it freedom prayer is that when people connect to God, they find freedom. I'm telling you, this is not an exaggeration. Most people who sit and worship are struggling to enjoy the real freedom that Christ has given us. For a variety of reasons. I'm not saying it's because they're they're not good Christians. I'm saying it's because of that they could have had parents all their lives that kept telling them they weren't worth anything. They never received the blessing. One of the greatest gifts someone gave me was when they said, listen, if you see someone in a bad mood, chances are something happened in their life that put them in a bad mood. So you need to quit taking everything personal and you need to think about what they may have just experienced that day. Go ahead. Um, I was reading something that really helped me discover. So I have a hammer in my hand so this may look like a nail and I may be off topic. But um, arrogance is ignorance. Arrogance equals ignorance plus conviction. So when I look at people, I was talking to this friend last night, for example, and this came to my mind. I'm Eric, I'm in ignorant. He said, for every hundred dollars that a white man earns in the United States, how much does a black man earn? And I, I, I knew I didn't know the answer, so I avoided it. It's from Forbes magazine, which obviously means it has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is $10 in the United States. Nah. Wow. So it's very easy for me to be arrogant and go, well, they would. But then when I'm humble and allow myself to get the knowledge that we're all created in God's image, that causes me to look differently. And, and I don't have the same conviction that I had before. So the discovery that I've had this morning is how easy it is for me to minimize who God's people are. Not out there, but in my own life. And right here is probably the person that I've been wise to the most. I believe one of the reasons we minimize people is out of our own fears, which means we have no freedom. Otherwise, we wouldn't minimize them. You see? So we're getting at And so anytime you're tempted to blast somebody else, you better stop and think. Uh, 
what would be the impact if we look through God's lens? Well, I think we already kind of started moving in that direction. Any other thoughts on that? It does seem as though it has to start with yourself, and then it's kind of a overflow of feeling fully accepted and worthy means you can see others and accept them and see worth. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think I think that's a hard thing because like if, if God's lens on a Christian is we're perfect because he's Jesus is the filter. You know what I mean? And so when you are a, a saved believer, God's lens on you is is perfect. You know, because because Jesus is standing there, and I think we forget to look at ourselves that way sometimes, and we think we're we're trying to attain something, and so it's it's almost impossible for us to look at others like that if we can't even recognize that God is looking at us. Because of our fallen, corrupted nature, our default is to believe the lies of them. That's you know the what is Andy talking about the analogy of the like the boardroom table. And we are on this side of the table with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and our sin is on the other side of the table. And so when we are able to separate ourselves from the faults we make and the mistakes we make, that's when we can truly view ourselves how God does. And that's like an advanced course to move to seeing other people and these terrible actions that they do as not them, but the work of the enemy through them. That's, mm-hmm. that's the road to, to seeing others through God's You know, I, I, I'm not, I think that's really true, but I do think it can happen the other direction. Because I think about how we're called to service and we're called to be others-oriented, and I know in my life, when I have interacted with people that I really had to learn how to forgive, or as I've interacted with people and had to really call on God to do that, I saw myself differently. So maybe you can work both ways. Okay. The reason, and, and y'all, you guys are right on the track of where I think this is, that's why at the very beginning where it says, and he, uh, and he says it was very good, and I said this is very important. This is why I said it was very important. Because we, we have, uh, I'm not an artist, but we'll just say this is God who's a spirit. And then we have us uh, here. Not that women always have to wear, have to wear dresses. Um, but just for the sake of illustration. The reason we... Um, can't do it on our own is because we are God. We are created. Therefore, we need help. Something gave us life. We do not generate life. We can't generate much of anything of value. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you call them, you call me good, but no one's good except the Father. 
And so my point in all of this is that we cannot be who God wants us to be. We cannot live the abundant life. We cannot have freedom. We cannot disciple other people to be disciples when we have not received the love of God ourselves and believe what He says about us is true and that our sins do not define us. Our past does not define us. God's grace defines us. He brought the Hebrew nation. They struggled. What did He do? He brought Christ to the church. What did He do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. Why? To transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. Are you with? You follow me? So my point in all this is, is that it's only when we're able to take this flow can we make a difference out here in the world. The reason we're not being evangelistic is because we're looking at ourselves through our own lenses. The reason that we're afraid to get into messy things is because we're looking at ourselves through our own lenses. And that's Satan's greatest tool against us. Are you with me? Now, one minute. We aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. We aren't elite Christians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We aren't competent because of who we are, but be competent because of who we are in Christ. We aren't calling people to follow because we have made ourselves worthy, but because in Christ, we are worthy. I'm no different than Paul. Paul may have had the Holy Spirit. He may have written the letters, but he still was human. And if Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ, then so can each one of us. He is no different. We are called to make disciples because we are representative ambassadors. We reflect His likeness so that others will be drawn to Him. Now, Got something I want to show you. Before and after. Sorry, not very good. She left to go to school that morning, and that's how she came back. Is that real? Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Isn't that great? Ah, uh, didn't didn't show up right. Well, I can take care of that. Hold on. There we go. Y'all see that one? Before and after. There we go. Why do so many people go to Weight Watchers? It's because of the before and after. Why do people want to follow Christ? It's because of what they knew you were before and what you have become after. Not that you're perfect. 
Not that you got it all together. Not that you have all the answers. But the fact that my life was in chaos. I was constantly afraid. I was constantly struggling. And now that I'm in Christ, I have the peace that passes all understanding. When I used to live in fear, in some situations in my life, I now live in peace. Not that I have don't have fear in other places, but I'm telling you, this is what I've experienced. And I'm telling you, you would love it. And what we become is a beacon in the storm. The storm can rage all around us. But our foundation, our roots are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can move us. Are you with me? So my point in all of this today is the reason He made us in His likeness, He wants us to reflect Him because He loves us. We're not here by default. He chose us to be His representatives. Are you with me? It's not that we have a reason to be arrogant. It's just the fact that He says, I believe in you and I love you and I want to work through you in your perfections. He, all of His disciples, Jesus' disciples, were knuckleheads. And we're no different. But look at what those knuckleheads did. If He can do it through them, He can do it through you and me. Father, give us the grace to believe. We believe and help our unbelief. Make our courage greater than our fear. In the powerful name of Jesus, Amen. Thanks, everybody.